isn't just a worship thing, it's a recruiting thing. This gets lost. Because of John the Baptist's witness to Christ, these first two followers are included in the group that John will describe in John 1.14, where he's going to say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Notice those words. We have seen his glory. The single becomes a plural. The lamb is committed to proselytizing, and the church needs to know that. Point number two. Faithful witnesses stay on message. John 1, 35 to 37. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, the same thing he said the first time. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So if if John's disciples are going to follow the Christ, they're going to have to do so on the proper terms. So will we all. The attachment to Christ must always be based not on his parables, not on his miracles, not on his compassion for the poor and needy, like red-letter Christians. Now, all of those aspects of Christ's witness and ministry will unfold, but none of them separately nor all of them combined can be the foundational point of understanding and attachment to Christ, that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the world's sin. That's the fundamental reality that all followers have to be committed to. Apart from from the fact that this is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Take that away, and there's no real reason to leave John the Baptist. That's the key point. Three, you can't follow Jesus staying where you are. John 1, 38 and 39. Jesus turned, and he saw them following. So he sees these these followers now. Said to them, what are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with them that day. It was about the 10th hour. I like 38. What are you seeking, Jesus says? We're 38 verses into the first chapter of John's gospel. These are the first spoken words of Jesus, the first words that we hear from his lips. And John means for us to take note that they're words of invitation. What what are you looking for? What are you after? I mean, the question itself is a kind of grace. It's easy to follow Jesus with no particular plan, no particular intent. Emotional whims certainly come and go. So Jesus' very first words call to me for self-examination. Why are you following Jesus, John? What are you looking for? What is it you're after? Well, 
People come to Jesus for all sorts of reasons. Some people are in a bind, and they hope Jesus can fix the mess that they're in, and they come to Jesus. Some people are told they'll never be sick or poor if they come to Jesus. He wants everybody to be rich all the time, and who wouldn't come? Some people like the emotional high of certain gatherings. Some people want their kids to have a good life, be raised in Sunday school. There's lots of reasons people come to Jesus. Where are you staying, is the disciples' reply, 38. Again, it just makes sense. If you're committed to following Jesus... It's good to know where he's going. If you're committed to following anyone, it's good to know where they're going. It's good to know what they're all about. Where are you staying? And he said to them, 39, come and see. So John highlights the fact that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who extends the invitation. The lamb does the inviting. No one can see Jesus, know Jesus, love Jesus, be a disciple of Jesus, from a distance, you, you have to follow. You have to come in order to know. Go with Jesus over an extended period of time. All of these things, there's little bits of the puzzle that are all important but incomplete if isolated. You can't follow Jesus just by listening to sermons. You, you can't follow Jesus because you were born into a Christian home. You, you have to decide, you have to decide to come and see. Come and see. You, come and see. You, you have to, in a certain sense, you have to deal directly with Jesus. It can't be secondhand. You have to commit yourself. You have to choose for yourself. You have to follow for yourself. You have to take ownership of your walk with Jesus. There's all sorts of people. All sorts of people in the church across the country. And the reason they're there is because, well, that's where mom and dad brought them, and they're, they're still there. Come. Come and see Jesus. Come. Follow him. Get attached to him. In another place, Jesus said something very similar in John 7, 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Four. This is where I want to spend a minute. Four and five. The changes Jesus can make when people commit to following him. John 1, 40 to 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you're Simon son of John. 
You're going to be called Cephas, which means Peter. This is beautiful, really. Ripples. The ripples are spreading. John records the marks of a genuine discovery of Jesus Christ. You notice the wording of verse 41. He, Andrew, first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So when Jesus is encountered authentically, the natural impulse is to share the news with those who are closest to us. There's there's another detail in verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. It's a little detail, but I think an important one. Andrew didn't just tell Peter about Jesus. You should see what I saw. Andrew doesn't just tell Peter about Jesus. Faithful followers bring others to Jesus. You you can't just send people to Jesus. They usually need someone to bring them. Following Jesus will, will have this relational element to it. Five, what Jesus sees in those who come to him in faith. Look at 41 and 42 again. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. That's Simon. Jesus looks at him and said, you're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. There's, There's something... A basic issue. It's being dealt with in this test that has absolutely nothing to do with Peter being the first pope, okay? Remember Jesus talked to Satan, get the, talked to Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Can you imagine saying that to the first pope? The real issue here, what happens with authentic followers of Jesus? How is following Jesus... Okay, how is following Jesus different from following John the Baptist? Remember, they left following John the Baptist to follow Jesus. How is following Jesus different from following John the Baptist or the Dalai Lama or Oprah Winfrey? And here's what you see in this text. Jesus, you're going to be called Cephas, not Simon. Now, nobody knows at this point what's going to be unfolding. But here's something that's clear. There is transformation coming when people become followers of Jesus. Simon is the second recruitment. The second recruitment in history to follow Christ and to Mark the kind of change he will experience. Jesus specifically not only names Simon, but traces his DNA, 42. You're Simon, son of John. You're going to be called Cephas, which means Peter. Please don't miss this. Peter, this is what you are right now by human heredity, by birth, by environment. So, Jesus openly exposes what makes Peter, Peter, 
as far as this earthly scene is concerned. This is what we, this is how we usually calculate our future and our destiny. This is how we determine what we are and what we're going to be. And Jesus is not finished with Peter as a follower. There's going to be more unfolding in Peter as he follows Jesus. Jesus says, as Peter follows him, there's going to be more unfolding in Peter's life than he can see right now. You get it? When you start following Jesus, you calculate your worth, your potential, your identity. Well, yeah, I'm the son of Michael and Daisy Horban. That's what makes me what I am. You've got your own ancestry. You've got your heredity. And Jesus talks about, about Simon, the son of John. But if you follow Jesus, there's a transformation that goes deeper than the potential you can get from your earthly resources. There's something Jesus can do with people who faithfully follow him that takes them far beyond what they can see of their present potential right now. You shall be. It's still in the future. That's all Peter gets from Jesus right now. Just a promise. It's only much later on that Peter will begin to see glimpses of the unfolding of all that Jesus would build into his ordinary life. I was looking at Matthew 16, 15 through 18. He said to them, Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, son of John. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But none of that's on the horizon. When Peter starts following Jesus, you're, gonna, you're not going to be Simon anymore. You're going to be Peter. That's all Peter gets. He gets this promise. That's what we all get, following Jesus. All Peter has is a commitment to follow Jesus. Nothing of that future grace is visible right now. And so please, please hear this word of hope, this word of promise. We're made to observe that huge gap between what Peter hears Jesus promise and what Peter presently sees of his own life. I mean, that's how you start following Jesus, right? That's how I follow Jesus. Only we get to look back on Peter's life and we see that Jesus makes good on his promise to Peter. Jesus always makes good on his promises. I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We sang it. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm a, I'm a child of God. Remember, no one's life, as they follow Jesus, no one's life is limited by the experiences accumulated in the past. True, like Peter, 
We all have to start where we are. We bring our failures, we bring our lives as they are with nothing but the promise of Jesus. What can unfold as we follow? Every following life gets a divine restart. Six. The inward delight of Jesus in finding an honest heart. We're almost done. John 20, sorry, John 1, verses 43 to 50. John 1, 43 to 50. The next day, Jesus decided to go on to Galilee. He found Philip, said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, and we're going to get, Jesus is going to talk about Nathanael, and I want to look at why. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, so this is different. Now we get the first guy that says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Peter and Andrew, boom, follow Jesus, okay? Philip, follow Jesus. Nathaniel, wait a minute. And it's like Jesus likes that. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Guile, if you have the older translation. Same idea, same Greek word. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. No one has said that yet about Jesus. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. So Jesus immediately describes Nathanael in words that he hasn't used before. An Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. What is that all about? And the significant is, if you remember last Sunday, the significant thing is John almost never in his gospel uses the terms Israel and Israelite. They're used in the synoptics, and John hardly ever uses them. But they're used by Jesus, John records them, in describing Nathanael, and they're used for a good reason. There's something Jesus sees in Nathanael's heart. And the clue of Jesus' meaning is actually found earlier in the 45th verse. Got it? 45? Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom, look, Moses in the law and also in the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip knows how to relate his discovery of Jesus to Nathanael. He tells Nathanael that he has found the one who the law and the prophets have been pointing to. And he does this because he knows this will have an impact on Nathaniel. He knows Nathaniel has been studying these scriptures with an expectation of the coming Messiah. Nathaniel was, the text says, an Israelite indeed. He's a Jewish scholar. 
And Jesus says, you're an Israelite indeed because you saw what all of this was talking about. You saw that all of this was about me. How refreshing. Jesus is going to bump into two groups throughout the whole gospel. He's going to be bumping into the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and every one of them is going to use the Old Testament to cancel out Jesus. They're going to be fighting about the Sabbath. They're going to be fighting on everything because they don't want to receive Jesus. Don't tell us we need redemption. We're descendants of Abraham. And Jesus says, don't even start to talk like that. And so he's delighted. Nathaniel, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Because unlike the scribes, the Pharisees, he wasn't using his religion to cover up his sin. People do that with religion, you know that? I don't need Jesus. I, I go to Cedarview. I go to Victory Baptist. I go to the Presbyterian Church. I was raised in that. My folks took me to Sunday school all the time. But you need Jesus. All of that is designed to point you to Jesus. Nathaniel, though an informed Jewish scholar, was honest with his encounter of Jesus. He hadn't been prejudiced against Christ. And you, you kind of you think of the words of the psalmist, Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Listen, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. There's, there's the cardiac test, the spiritual heart test. We're all sinners. And evidently, there are people in whom the Lord counts iniquity, and there's people in whom the Lord doesn't count iniquity. And the difference isn't that one is sinless and one is guilty. That's not the difference. The difference is the way the sinner confronts what's in his heart. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and a lot of religious people in Ontario are crafty with Jesus. I'm as good as anybody else in this place. Don't try this, Pastor Don. This is just, you got the soft music playing. You're trying to do the emotional thing and just kind of get. No. You can't be cagey. You can't try and explain things away. You got to be honest when Jesus speaks to your heart. Go deep. There's no one else to whom we can go. He's the only Redeemer, the only Savior, the only one who gives eternal life to sinful people who acknowledge their need. If that's you, and it might very well be you, you need to have no deceit in your heart. Go to Jesus and follow him. And everyone said, <laughs>